with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Now we're going to start in the host chair on a still sort of foggy day out there. Echo on the board today. Good day, Alan. Good day, Prince George and area. Mm-hmm. Now, Prince George, BC in general, but Prince George in specifically has a lot of great outdoor areas that you can go to, recreation sites and stuff like that. But not everybody can get to all of those areas. Uh, on the phone now with Dr. Mark Gruel, an associate professor at UNBC's School of Environmental Planning, who's been doing a study on how to make areas more accessible. Good morning, Dr. Gruel. Good morning, Alan. Uh, thank you very much for having me this morning. Not a problem. Um, so you're doing a project on accessibility. Now, is this just in the Prince George area, or what area are you guys covering? Uh, actually, the uh, the project has been, uh, for me, a really great collaboration with uh, Spinal Cord Injury British Columbia, and particularly their Access BC initiative. And uh, they have been doing uh, work to improve accessibility of outdoor spaces uh, since 2016 through that initiative, and uh, that work has covered the province. Uh, so our project uh, similarly uh, covered and looked at accessibility of outdoor spaces across three regions of the province, uh, on Vancouver Island uh, and uh, into the Kootenai Rockies region, and uh, some work in the north as well. Wow. So... So did you guys up at UNBC basically focus on the north and leave the other areas for other uh, um, schools to cover? Uh, no, there were uh, some really great collaborations uh, with a number of uh, tourism and uh, local government partners uh, across the regions. But uh, we actually spent a, a good portion of uh, last summer actually traveling uh, across the province to these regions and uh, applying a, an accessibility standards tool that uh, Access, the Access BC uh, initiative has uh, developed and uh, that this research project focused on uh, improving and uh, making more user-friendly. And uh, we actually traveled across the province to uh, dozens of uh, really, really incredible outdoor spaces, uh, actually doing accessibility auditing to identify the the types of barriers that uh, might prevent them from being fully inclusive spaces. So before you go any further, is there sort of a definition that you and... um Spinal Cord Injury BC and the Access BC team used to define accessibility? Yeah, I would uh, I would say that the project and our collaboration is uh, fit pretty well into a universal design framework or paradigm. And uh, what universal design promotes through a range of different principles is, is essentially the design of spaces, whether they be built spaces within our cities and communities or natural spaces in the outdoor environment that are accessible and usable to as wide a uh, segment of the the population as is possible. And uh, another important part of that uh, that's emerging in the way that we think about universal design is we have to think not just about the products we design, the spaces that we design, and whether they can be used by uh, a wide, wide segment of society without uh, individuals facing barriers, but actually think about the process for designing those spaces and products and uh, whether or not we're actually empowering uh, persons with disabilities uh, who face barriers in society to actually be part of that process and uh, have a legitimate opportunity to influence the outcomes of uh, the spaces that um, might shape the, their lives and the way they use their communities. 
So you're not just looking at the recreation sites and areas that are already in the province, looking at how they can be made more accessible, but you're also looking at how can we involve accessibility in planning for future recreation sites. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's quite accurate. Uh, one of the major focuses of the project was to uh, take an accessibility uh, standards auditing tool that the Access BC initiative had developed and through our research collaboration try and focus on uh, creating a uh, essentially a user-friendly digital platform, uh, which is essentially a tool that could go onto a smartphone, go onto a tablet, and uh, in a really user-friendly way actually walk you through the process of doing an accessibility audit, which involves many, many uh, really detailed measurements uh, of the physical environment, things like path widths, um, the location and heights of uh, various elements in a bathroom facility, a whole across a whole range of different amenities, but actually try and develop that tool in a, a user-friendly way so that it can actually be put in the hands of different organizations, advocacy groups, uh, to empower them to, to carry forward accessibility work in their own regions and communities. And then I'm guessing when they do that work and prepare their notes and everything on areas, those notes and everything are then online as well so that people who perhaps are in wheelchairs or something will be able to access that and find out which areas in the province they can get to. Uh, Yeah, that's correct. Um, For uh, listeners who might be interested, if uh, they uh, Google Access BC, uh, which is the initiative that I was able to partner with, they will actually uh, be able to access a website that Access BC has developed which actually takes all of the measurements uh, that they have been doing uh, across the province and puts them into uh, a pretty user-friendly online mapping uh, format, which uh, allows individuals who uh, might have a disability to appropriately plan for their trip and know uh, whether they're not whether they're going to be able to fully experience a destination uh, if they uh, make the uh, effort to travel there. So when you guys were traveling around last summer, and probably right now you're very happy you did that last summer, didn't plan it for this summer, did you find that there were some areas that were in really good shape in terms of being accessible and other ones that needed a lot of work? Um, I would say uh, across the gamut, there, uh, or across the, the whole cross-section of spaces that uh, we looked at, uh, there's work to be done in just about every space that um, we have looked at. Uh, things in particular like upgrading old infrastructure, uh, especially visitor use infrastructure like washroom facilities, um, uh, different uh, picnic facilities that maybe were built in a, a previous era when uh, accessibility standards weren't as uh, top of mind and uh, part of the planning and design process. A lot of that infrastructure um, is definitely, I think, due for an upgrade that uh, applies an accessibility lens. But I think there's there's no question that when we start to look at newer infrastructure, while not always the case, uh, it, there are definitely uh, improvements where we're seeing universal design and accessibility being put into the design and, and building of different uh, infrastructure pieces. Now, one area that I know that's pretty close to Prince George that has had a fair bit of work done on it is the ancient forest. Where would you say that ranks in terms of being fully accessible? Yeah, I think it's actually a a really great showcase of uh, of universal design uh, that uh, we can talk about here in northern British Columbia. 
Um, I think not only the uh, accessible boardwalk that uh, was uh, built as part of the ancient forest trail, which uh, is not only uh, accessible, but actually takes you to really key destinations that Mm -hmm. uh, anyone visiting the ancient forest would want to go see. Not only is that infrastructure a really great uh, best practice in in design, but the actual story behind it being a a community-led process where uh, my understanding is the Caledonia Ramblers really uh, led a lot of the work and initiative. Having that been a a project that really grew out of and was moved forward by the community, I think speaks not only to that aspect of universal design being uh, a particular product or space that is accessible, but being a process that is also really community-driven and led. So is that one of the designs that you maybe suggested to Access BC would be a good one for them to put up for other sites to look at? Uh, I would actually say uh, it might be the reverse. Uh, Access BC was uh, very, very well aware of the uh, example of the ancient forest, and they had uh, written some stories and uh, talked about the ancient forest as a uh, good example of uh, accessible outdoor space design, um, actually a number of years ago, even preceding our project. Wow. So I'm assuming, though, that you guys, even though you knew how good ancient forest was, I'm guessing you guys still went there last summer, though. Uh, no, uh, we actually, it wasn't uh, part of the uh, research project that uh, we looked at. A lot of our detailed auditing um, was focused on uh, tourism partnerships that Access BC had uh, developed in the Vancouver Island area in the uh, Kootenai Rockies region. And a good deal of the kind of detailed uh, research, which involved us being out in uh, spaces, both within municipalities like Nanaimo and out in some of the regional district and more rural areas. Uh, a lot of that really detailed accessibility auditing work was uh, done in the Vancouver Island region and uh, the Kootenai Rockies region. So fairly different topographies there as well. How much does that play into accessibility? Uh, yeah, it, I think that's a really great uh, question. There is no doubt that, especially when you're uh, working uh, and doing universal design and accessibility research or, or planning outside of a, a municipal or, or community environment, I think you are a little bit more subject um, to the landscape that you are, are working with when, when we're talking about accessibility in natural spaces. Uh, it's it's arguably more complex because you're trying to, to balance pr- uh, promoting and uh, conserving the naturalness and the biodiversity uh, and health of, of different natural areas with this goal of actually improving inclusivity through infrastructure. Um, topography and working with topography, uh, slopes of trails that might require uh, different uh, ramping systems is a big part of that. So is balancing um, bringing new infrastructure into an area where there are really important conservation goals. Now, were there any areas that you found as you were touring the province last summer where you looked at them and you basically had to say that area won't be accessible? There's just really no way that we can do it without almost destroying the area. I think uh, probably every um, probably every area that we looked at had um, some opportunity to access the uh, different natural amenities that um, might be uh, available at that destination. Um, 
probably one of the areas that consistently came up as uh, a really difficult uh, barrier, challenging barrier to get around is some of the longer trail systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we looked at a number of rail trails uh, across the, the province, and it actually comes back to your uh, comment about the topography. Some of these trail systems have uh, very, very steep slopes that are uh, really, really difficult to, to um uh, adjust from an infrastructure perspective given the the costs and the complexity of the design. Uh, so trails is one area where I think there's some really um, detailed thought uh, needed in, needed to be put into thinking about how we can extend access um, to the destinations that are often at the end of those trails and uh, bringing in at that point different adaptive infrastructure uh, that can uh, allow individuals who might have a physical um, disability uh, like uh, trail riders can be a really good adaptation to adjust to some of those conditions. So now, is the project to some extent basically finished now, like you've got the tools ready to go? the uh, project that uh, was funded through the uh, particular grant that uh, allowed the collaboration between myself and uh, the Access BC initiative uh, has essentially wrapped up. Um, on my side, as a, a researcher, I've been working on uh, publications um, that are communicating some of the results of the research, and Access BC ha- has now been working on taking the tool, which is kind of at a, a beta phase as a digital uh, accessibility platform, has been taking that tool and actually partnering um, and continuing to partner with uh, different uh, stakeholders across the province to introduce them to the tool, train them on the tool, and uh, as I was noting, try and empower them to actually become uh, accessibility experts, advocates, and um, activists within their own region. So to some extent then, the project is now out of your hands, even if uh, Access BC gets some feedback from people about things with the, um, with the planning tool, it's now in their hands, really. Yeah, I would I would maybe just uh, shift that uh, a little bit and note that I, I'm not sure the project was ever fully in my hands. Uh, and I mean that in a really, really positive way, in that uh, this was uh, really a true collaboration all the way along. Uh, I don't think that uh, in working together on the kind of research side of, of this project that uh, one entity was uh, ever kind of fully driving the direction we were heading in. Uh, it was always a really, really rich collaboration where we were identifying problems Um, as a team, working really, really closely uh, on the road, doing field work, and uh, collaborating through the entire process. So uh, it has always been a very close collaboration, and as we start to look at uh, next steps and next opportunities to try to continue to advance accessibility and inclusion in outdoor spaces, uh, I suspect it'll be uh, continue to be a very rich collaboration. As you were doing the tours last summer, Vancouver Island, the Kootenai areas, Were there some areas that you got into and you had to remind yourself, I'm here to work, I'm not here to admire the scenery? Uh, Yeah, I think that's a a pretty apt uh, comment, Alan. I've I've only actually been in the uh, province of uh, British Columbia for about five years. 
I'm a, a transplant from Ontario. And, uh, you know, the research and the work uh, always came first, and that was uh, one of the most impressive things about working with Access BC is just uh, how incredibly diligent they are in, in doing this uh, really important field work. But uh, no doubt uh, it was an incredible way to, to get to see areas of the province like the cusp uh, Vancouver Island that I hadn't been exposed to, and uh, I really have a greater appreciation for the natural beauty of, of this province. So have you got any plans to, have you done much exploring in this area? Uh, from a research perspective or just or, from or a just on your own, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the, the first couple of uh, years, uh, having arrived in, in northern British Columbia, my uh, partner and I did uh, try and take as, as much of an opportunity as we could to explore the north. Uh, I'm from northern Ontario originally, so I was really, really excited to uh, explore a new northern region. And uh, some of that uh, took the form of uh, taking uh, car trips uh, out to the coast uh, to be able to see Prince Rupert and uh, all the amazing region uh, along the way, and a lot of that has been uh, ensuring we uh, take advantage of some of the amazing natural uh, amenities that here at our doorstep. Uh, places like Raven Lake, um, for someone from Ontario, really stand out to me. Uh, the Teapot Hike, I think, is uh, a really incredible uh, opportunity to get into nature right at our, our doorstep. Um, these are obviously hikes that, from an accessibility perspective, are uh, really, really quite challenging. Um, but uh, from a personal perspective, I've been very, very lucky to uh, be able to take in some of the spaces we have here at our doorstep in Prince George. Dr. Mark Gruel, I guess... Thank you on behalf of people who have accessibility problems for doing this work to make the outdoors more accessible for them. Uh, thanks very much, Alan. And uh, I just want to also extend uh, a thanks to uh, Access BC and Spinal Cord Injury BC. Uh, it's been a, a real honor to uh, collaborate with them on uh, research that uh, and the work that they're doing that I think is incredibly important to building a more inclusive province and society. Okay, thank you very much for taking the time today. You have a great day. You too. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more after nine. Hi, this is The Wolfman. CFIS FM's weekly shows dedicated to local musicians can both be heard on Wednesdays. Homegrown at 9 p.m. and Homegrown Light at 1 p.m. Both shows feature music and interviews from various local artists performing and recording in our area. Homegrown features a mix of heavier sounds and Homegrown Light focuses on the softer sounds on the Prince George music scene. Check them out. Homegrown, Wednesday night at 9, and Homegrown Light, Wednesday afternoon at 1. Only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Prince George Community Foundation has awarded funding to five social purpose organizations throughout northern B.C. as part of the Government of Canada's Investment Readiness Program. The Dawson Creek Society for Community Living, EcoTrust Canada, the Potato House Project, the Valemount Learning Centre, and Seed the North, Inc. were granted funds. The second round of IRP funding will start on September 8th. For information about eligibility and other details, visit the Prince George Community Foundation website at pgcf.ca or through Community foundations.ca. Creativity camps are on at Two Rivers Gallery. Children aged 6 to 13 will love these week-long camps featuring everything from nature art and futuristic fun to superheroes and the art of imagineering. Camps run through September 4th with each limited to 10 participants with health and safety guidelines in place to protect children. For more information and registration, visit tworiversgallery.ca summer creativity camps through September 4th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows at tworiversgallery.ca. 
Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today. A high of 23 with a high UV index. Increasing cloudiness tonight with a 40% chance of showers and a low of 13. For Thursday, mainly cloudy. A 40% chance of showers in the morning. A high of 21. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well, we've got a few minutes before our next guest is calling in. So I just thought... um, Echo, did you hear about what the library and the Central BC Railway and Farms Museum are up to this summer? Yeah, they're partnering. That sounds like quite the blast and very advantageous to our listeners. Yeah, started at the end of July. And what it is, is the library has put together basically an interactive, self-guided adventure, which is accessible through an app on your cell phone or iPad or whatever you want to have with you. And it involves the uh, Central BC Railway and Forest Museum. So you don't go out there with your kids and the kids are going, what's that? And you're kind of going, ah, it's part of a train. (laughs) There's so many cool things from the railway. I I used to work for CN and they just have the coolest equipment. It's far out. And they've got a lot of great stuff over at the Railway and Forest Museum. Oh, much, much great stuff. And I should note, given that we just finished talking with uh, Dr. Mark Gruel about accessibility, mm-hmm. that place is about as accessible as they can make it. Like yes. there are some of the there are some of the exhibits I think you can't get into simply because again, you can't get stairs that will get you into some of the actual rail exhibits. But yeah. in terms of actually getting around the grounds, it's quite accessible. Yeah, which and is it's, great. It's a very interesting. A lot of the things you don't really need to get into, you can just no, you can watch them, them from the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got quite the awesome setup out yeah. there. So it's um, the Storytime Walk is for kids from birth to nine years old, is what they say, and. It's got some songs, some rhymes, some place-based activities, and they've got some fun, kid-friendly facts about the museum's exhibits. And then, gee, big surprise here, given that it's the library, they have a list of book recommendations for uh, people who uh, might want to, whose kids maybe say, that was great, where can I find out more about this? Yeah. Well, gee, by coincidence, the library has put up a list of books that you can use. So now... Here's the nice thing as well. You go to geotourist.com to download the app, which is Storytime Walk at the Prince George Railway and Forest Museum. A long title, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. You're encouraged to download the tour before you leave home so you're not out there using mobile data. Yes, exactly. Then anytime the museum is open, you go there, you show the museum staff person at the gate your phone or your iPad with the Geotourist app on it, you get in free. Wow. During the summer. Double bonus. Yeah. So again, great idea, great collaboration between the two groups. And they've done this sort of thing before. So but um, so I understand our next guest yes, has called in. Yes, we do. We have our next guest all ready to rock. Okay. Um, yeah, you yeah. betcha. Okay. Okay, there yeah, so, we go. Okay, now we're caught up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Oops. we are going to take a quick break and be back with more after nine. The City of Prince George has been awarded a $48,000 gift by the Canadian Medical Association Foundation. The money enables the city to support efforts to safeguard the health and well-being of our most at-risk residents by providing access to clean and safe public washrooms in the downtown. In line with public health recommendations, the washrooms undergo daily cleaning and regular sanitization of common areas. For more information on the city's continuing effort to help the less fortunate in our downtown, 
visit princegeorge.ca. The City of Prince George and School District 57 have reopened all civic and school playgrounds in the Prince George area. Both the City and School District encourage parents to ensure their children are adhering to provincial recommendations concerning physical distancing, proper hygiene, and limiting gatherings to fewer than 50. Washroom facilities have also been reopened in city parks with enhanced cleaning protocols in place. As well, fenced dog parks are available for use. For more information, visit the City's website, princegeorge.ca. The award-winning digital research project BC Artists is now available online for free public access. BC Artists is a research tool to find published information about visual artists who were active in BC from the 1700s to today. The information is invaluable to appraisers, archivists, artists, and anyone interested in the visual art history of our province. Free access to this valuable database of information is available online through the BC Artists links at sim-publishing.com. Hope for Women Pregnancy Services is holding a grand opening and open house Friday, September 11th from 5 to 7 and Saturday, September 12th from noon to 3. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, open house tours will be scheduled. Reserve your time by calling 250-562-4464 or by emailing princegeorge at hopeforwomen.ca. The Prince George Hope for Women Pregnancy Services Center open house and grand opening Friday, September 11th and Saturday, September 12th in the Parkwood Place Mall. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well, a big moment for a lot of Prince George families beginning of this week with the Kin Centers reopening, joined now by Wade Lukes. I believe your title is still Manager of Community Arenas. Am I correct? That's one of my many titles, yes. Okay. <laughs> and that's one of the ones we can actually say on the radio, right? For sure. Okay. So... The Kin Centers opened on Monday, I believe? Yes, Monday morning. We had our first rental in uh, at Kin 2 at 7.30 in the morning, uh, which was a hockey rental. And then uh, the Spruce Kings have ran their annual hockey school, which also started in Kin 1. And then um, figure skating clubs, which is a normal summer activity. They do their uh, summer camps and that sort of thing, too. That filled up Kin 3. Wow. So it's been pretty busy right from the word go, as you probably expected. It is, yeah. These are normal summer rentals. Um, the groups are uh, very, uh, we're anticipating the day that we open the doors, and they've been really good to work with because it's, it's all new. It's all new for our staff, and it's all new for, for them as their patrons into our facilities with our new rules. But uh, communication's a big key, and, and the, the groups have been really, um, really helpful in, in helping our staff out. So with the COVID-19 safety protocols, what are sort of the main things people have to know if they are going to be coming in as part of a group to one of the kin centers? So, so the, the main focus of, of our, our operation is making sure we maintain that under 50 number. And so we were able to um, look, at, look at each arena as its own facility and trying to coordinate it so that the groups can come in um, at, you know, at a max number of around 20, and then they can come in get their get their gear on get on the ice and then quickly leave the building because if we can maintain that process we can get as many rentals in as we can if if there's loitering if there's parents if there's those sorts of things that um creep into our operation right now it just becomes a harder harder operation to manage keeping that number under 50 and so until you know until we hear loosening up of those numbers we have to really focus on that so the biggest thing people have to know is if you're signed up for a camp 
for whatever sport it is or if you're signed up for something else as part of a group that's coming in make sure you know well a i guess the first thing is how to get in and out of the kin center you're going to be using now that's right so what we've done is we've we've uh, put together some maps um, that are showing the different access points because each arena has its own entry and exiting and so for example, the Kin 3 Arena is all used through the Kin Atrium, and so en- entry and exit is through there. The Kin 1 operation is over closer to where the barns are, and so that would be on the north side of the building. Mm-hmm. And then same thing with Kin 2. It's kind of on the north uh, west side of the building. We've got signage outside. We've worked with the user groups. And again, like I said earlier, it, you know, we will take this week as a, as a trial and then work with our user groups uh, if there's anything we need to improve on. To, to get any more information out. Now, admittedly, it is only Wednesday. Have you already heard about things that you, you're making notes on and saying, yeah, that's something we're going to have to take a look at? For sure, for sure. Because there's, there's groups, there's regular tenants in our building. Uh, Prince George Minor Hockey is an example where if they need access to their office space, how, how are they going to do that? And mm-hmm. so we're, we're working with the groups to, to help that because there's these anomalies that happen where... They need to get something out of their office. The figure skating club needs something out of their office. And so we're just trying to figure out the best way to communicate that we're not just running around. Because it's, it's pretty much the building's buttoned up. We're not allowing any sort of extra people in. And so when a group comes in for a 10 a.m. rental, they come in at 945 and we close the door behind them. And so we're trying to keep it kind of locked down. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that it was before where it was more of a public facility, we've really really kind of scaled that back and trying to control our numbers. So I'm guessing because you had said earlier you didn't want uh, loitering, you didn't want a lot of parents coming in. Da, da, da. I'm guessing for some of the young kids, parents may have to come in for at least a few minutes to help them get their skates on. Yep, and we're, we're adjusting to that as well. And so, so again, with our transition areas, with the spaces that we have, we're, we're definitely working with the groups allowing that. The, the Spruce Kings Camp is a perfect example where they have one or two sessions with younger kids that those kids need help mm-hmm. and they need their parental help and so we're working that out the parents are coming in they are following our rules of of entry in they are helping their their children out and then basically a lot of them are just hanging around outside they're enjoying the nice weather and stuff like that too so they're they're socializing out in the parking lot and then they wait just prior to their rental wrapping up and then they come in and and um help with their own kids mm-hmm. getting their skates off and then off they go i have to ask this question then when they leave the arena are they sort of out of your responsibility in terms of social distancing well for sure i mean we we've helped them out outside by putting markers outside yeah. so when it when a group comes in for their their 10 a.m rental there we put mar- 10 uh, social distancing markers outside to help them distance um as far as responsibility we're expecting them to follow rules you know in the in the general public, but but our main focus is the inside of the building right now. Yeah. So then, the only areas that are open then are the ice surfaces, some of the hallways to get you to and from the ice surfaces, and the areas where the groups wait to go on the ice and when and when they come off. Correct. And then and then the the one thing we offer up to each group is an we call it an isolation room, mm-hmm. just in case there's um, you know a kid's not feeling mm-hmm. well or or those sorts of things that, and which can happen at, at any time, or if there's an injury on the ice or something like that, then the, the, the group has the opportunity to use one of our allocated areas for that, and they could take the, the, the user in there and help them out. And, and so 
that comes with their rental. There's no dressing room use. There's no none of that. It's just come in, train. But if there's there's issues where they have to isolate a kid for some reason, then they have that opportunity to do that. Now, how long did it take to develop the plan? Because basically, I think you guys probably shut down about the same time as everybody else mid-March. When did you guys start working on a plan, knowing that at some point you would be reopening? You know, it, it, it kind of started the next day in, in a sense. There was a lot of communication with our different arena associations and um, uh, and parks associations in in what is what is going to be the new normal. And so there were many reports that we read on through not experts in the fields, but people, you know, forecasting what this might look like. And so we, we just looked at our spaces and... Normally, what we do in the summertime is we have two or three arenas open, but they're with the activities that we normally have up at Exhibition Park with the BCNE Fair, with Caribou Rocks North, with those sorts of activities, lacrosse, lacrosse provincials. When those got canceled, we, we did a, a total 180 and, and made our arena operation up at Exhibition Park where I could house it under one facility and then because normally we'd be up at the Elk Center or the Rolling Mix Arena or the CN Center. And so having it up there, it gave us an opportunity to look at the, the spaces that we have at, at Exhibition Park and trying to utilize that. So totally different operation for us, but it's worked out really well. Um, if, if the chance comes where we do open up the Elk Center and the Rolling Mix, we have a, a basic framework um, of how we'll lay out those buildings based on what we're going through right now. So those plans will obviously be updated as you go through the next couple of weeks and get the feedback from the kin centers. That's correct. That's correct. And 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 right now, I mean, everyone is is uh, happy to be out on the ice and doing their activities. But we're expecting more adjustments. We 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 check daily with Via Sport and see what the return to sport plans are for these user groups. Um, minor hockey is an example are still looking at doing tryouts. And so if they got tryouts, they got people there scouting. And so how do we help them put the scouts in place without without messing with our number of 50 people and stuff like that? So we'll have conversations closer to the time and figure that out. Our, our answer isn't no, it's how can how can we figure this out? And so the user groups will, will have their, it's their adjustments to how they want to rent their ice and that sort of thing too. So I have a feeling this will be kind of on a weekly basis, just making adjustments. So you were saying you talked to other arena associations. How many other arenas in BC have got the same situation as you do at the Kin Center, where you've got three arenas basically under one roof? You know, there's a, there's there's probably a few. Um, most most places I talk to have one or two on site, and so to have three is is a, is a different layout. I was on a call. It might have been a couple months ago, and and one of the uh, managers from UBC. Um, has a complex that has an ice and arena, has basketball courts, it has a swimming pool, all in one complex. And he was trying to figure this all out. <laughs> and, then, and then to throw in the, the mix was a lot of his staffing is university students. So they, they pick up part-time work, and so he had a pool of 50 to 100 people, but when students weren't on campus, he was trying to figure it out. So it's, it's sharing ideas, it's, it's being creative, um, and I, as we, we adapt and make our changes, I, I share them with other, other arenas, and they do the same with us. So. so you're figuring next couple of weeks there's going to be a lot of information sharing back between you guys and the other arenas and between you guys and your user groups. 
That's right. Yeah, that's right. Trying to trying to make things streamline a little bit better, and and uh, what are what's working and what's not working, and that sort of thing too. But but after our first couple days, I you know I I check in with staff at the start of the day and and throughout to see how things are going, and they're providing good feedback that we've uh, we need to, we need to adapt here. We need more signage over there, and but right now it's it's operating quite smoothly. Okay, Wade Lukes from the city of Prince George talking to us about reopening the kin centers. Thank you very much, and we'll let you get back to it. Great, thanks for your day. Okay, going to take a quick break and be back with more after nine. This year, BC Culture Days has been expanded to a cross-country virtual celebration of arts and culture. The 11th annual event will run from September 25th to October 25th, featuring a newly expanded lineup of free interactive events and activities. The BC Culture Days 2020 will kick off with a 45-minute virtual event at 4 p.m. Thursday, September 24th, hosted by the City of North Vancouver. For full details or more information on how to take part in BC Culture Days, visit culturedays.ca slash bc. Downtown Prince George is open for business. Visit the Downtown Prince George website for information about many of the businesses that are still operating with innovation and determination. Mobile security patrols have been added to provide more eyes and ears on the street during late evening hours. Follow Downtown Prince George through their website and social media to learn more about other programs and initiatives to support business and the community. Downtown Prince George, open for business. Find out more at downtownpg.com. The new circulation area at the Prince George Public Library is now open. Physical distancing protocols are in place with a limit of 20 visitors at a time. Services are also currently limited to borrowing and dropping off library materials, and access is only available through the Civic Centre Rotunda. Be sure to check out the library's weekly programs, available online at pgpl.ca. That's your public library, now open for limited service from 10 to 6, Monday through Saturday in the Canada Game. Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today, a high of 23 with a high UV index. Increasing cloudiness tonight with a 40% chance of showers and a low of 13. For Thursday, mainly cloudy, a 40% chance of showers in the morning, a high of 21. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And there are some sports where the athletes have been looking at the COVID-19 stuff and going, okay, I can sort of adjust to this. There are things that I can do. Then there are other sports that have distinct problems. Dan Gallo, very well-known, well, I guess I could say world-class arm wrestler from Prince George, joins us now. Dan, it's got to have been a very strange summer for you. Um, yeah, there's been uh, no tournaments I can go to since, well, I haven't gone to a tournament since last year's national, so it's um, definitely been pretty slow for me. Now, with COVID-19, though, and social distancing, you might be able to do some training, but can you really even do any practicing? Um, yeah, we've been kind of working around that a little bit, but I don't have, a, like, a huge group of guys I do train with, so mm. we're, um, yeah, I mean, we've all been fine, so... Yeah. So basically what you've been doing then is just basically working on the physical training itself, keeping yourself in shape as oh, much yeah. as you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. non-stop training. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been training seven days a week. Um, yeah, as hard as I can, it's just been not being able to put it to use yet. <laughs> yeah, I guess, though, in some respects, because I know we've talked in the past and you've said that sometimes one of the things you have to do is you sort of aim your training towards the competition you're going towards. Well, knowing that you didn't have any competitions coming up, probably meant you could you could 
space your training out a little bit more? Well, the plan was for this year, um, there was supposed to be the uh, the IFA Worlds held in Florida this year. Mm. So I had a, a plan of cutting down to the, the 172 pound class, which I'm pretty close to there now, <laughs> which is a good 20 pounds lighter than what I normally am. Wow. Um, so since that didn't fall through, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's been a little tough. But, so 20 pounds lighter than what you normally are at. Yeah. How tough was that to keep up knowing you didn't have a competition coming up? Um, well, I'm pretty good with the mental game, right? Like mm. once I set my mind to something and I get a plan, I normally stick with it. Mm -hmm. So cutting down hasn't been hard because I've been doing it really healthy this time. Like over the last quite a few years now of doing this, um, I've been learning that it's a lot better to actually take better care of myself instead of, <laughs> you know, doing a massive weight cut in a bathtub or something. Yeah, the day before. Yeah, the day yeah. before. Um, but with like there's a, a tournament coming up here in the next few weeks in red deer oh um and i have a super match there so as long as everything goes well um which i'm hoping it will i'm looking forward to pulling the uh, 175 pound class but my super match is with a guy who's usually two weight classes above what i am <laughs> it was kind of a last minute thing yeah. i you know the other person who was going to be practicing or pulling with him um ducked out so i kind of got an opportunity to jump in there so what is a super match? It's when they just, instead of going through a tournament class, mm -hmm. you know, like double elimination, super match is usually a best of five or best of seven one-on-one um, -on -one matchup, right? One minute between rounds and um, you just go full bore with one guy. So it's sort of like being the feature match at yes. like a boxing club. Yes. Wow. So have you, rest, have you arm wrestled this guy before? I have um, years ago and I... Did uh, did beat him back then, mm -hmm. but when I did my super matches, I was also like I said, usually twenty pounds heavier. Yeah. So I, I feel stronger, and I like I'm lifting more than I ever have. Mm -hmm. um, but with uh, twenty pounds lighter than what I am, it's going to be a little little difficult, I think. So you're at one seventy two now. You said about one seventy five right now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So. You had been wrestling at 195. What weight is this fellow coming in at? I'm not sure yet. Okay. I heard around 190. Oh, okay. So, so it's quite. We'll, so it's a lot closer to his yes, weight. Yes. When yours. we were at nationals last year, I pulled the 175s, and he was 198s. Wow. So two weight classes above what I am. There's that much difference in the in the weight classes when you, is it just when you get up to that area? Uh, normally every 10 pounds for nationals and worlds. Okay. And then most regular events are usually 20 pound weight classes. Wow. So when you were, because when you were saying that you're down to about 172 and you're going to be wrestling at 175, I was thinking, okay, so that must be a different weight class. Yeah. But, oh. Um, the IFA Worlds do a, a different <sighs> class where it's one, I believe 150 and then 172. And then I believe the next class is up to 195. Oh. Like they're kind of, they're all ball weight classes compared to what we do up here. So. Yeah. So now have you been able to start actually training with other arm wrestlers in Prince George. A little bit, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm guessing one of the things that you've been checking with with the people in Red Deer Van is what kind of protocols they're going to have in place. So you don't get there and suddenly find out, well, you got to do this, this, and this to abide by our protocols for COVID-19. Honestly, I haven't heard too much about what huh? they got planned. I think you want to check on that. Yeah, it would definitely be a good idea. Well, one thing I'm wondering about, because I was thinking about this um, after we 
arranged the interview was I was thinking for arm wrestlers, would there be any reason that they couldn't have like a plexiglass shield in the middle that you guys could make your arms in so you're not actually face-to-face, shall we say, contact? It would be pretty tough to do that for a table. Um, yeah. I imagine we're probably going to have to wear masks mm-hmm. at the bare minimum, right? Yeah. You know, is there any way, like, have you even tried practicing with a mask on? I haven't yet, no. no. So if you get the word that that's what they are going to be asking for, will you be trying to get some practice? I would assume that's going to make a difference in how well you can breathe and stuff. Um, I imagine it probably will, yeah. It probably wouldn't be a good idea to get a mask and actually see. Yeah. Make sure you know, A, how to wear it. Yeah. <laughs> and B, how much of a difference it does make. Because, again, I've seen, well, I've been to a couple of your practices at your facility here. And I've been to some arm wrestling tournaments. And some of those guys are, there's a lot of heavy breathing going on. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely something i got to look into pretty quick here. Yeah. So when is this tournament coming up? It's supposed to be September 5th. Okay. Are there any other tournaments that you know of at this point on the horizon? Or is everybody still kind of laying low? Well, up here, we're definitely laying low. I mean, mm-hmm. I know a lot of the bigger clubs aren't really doing too much. Yeah. Down in the States, they've been going full board right. by the looks of it. Yeah. So <laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with the border crossing problems, you, you can look at those ones and kind of go, gee, I'd like to be able to go down there, but it's probably pretty difficult to even arrange for something like that these days. Yeah, I haven't looked into it too much with the way things have been going. I mean, it would be pretty hard if I came back here and then had to take another two weeks off of work. Yeah. yeah. So when you go to Red Deer, do you figure you're going to be checking around with people and just making, seeing if there's anything else going on that you hadn't maybe heard about already? I'll probably get a hold of the guy who's putting the tournament on yeah. there and just to make sure a little closer within the next week, mm-hmm. week and a half, just to make sure everything is still a go, right? Yeah. Hate to do all of this training get everything down, practice with the mask on and everything, and then find out, no, we're not going to go. Yeah. Okay. Dan Gallo, arm wrestler, who I am always afraid to shake hands with, so I'm actually kind of glad with the COVID-19 protocols. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Take a quick break. Be back with more after nine. To keep you safe from COVID-19, doctors in Prince George have made changes to the way they see patients. For most conditions and prescribed medications, virtual care over the phone or by video call is available. When needed, a safe in-person visit can be arranged. For all health issues, please phone your family doctor's office. Do not drop in without an appointment. If you have COVID-19-related questions, contact Northern Health. If you are experiencing serious COVID-19 symptoms, proceed to UHNBC Emergency or call 911. As masks become part of our everyday lives, the Canadian Centre for Occupational Health and Safety reminds everyone that wearing a mask on its own does not prevent the spread of coronavirus. You also need to continue following other standard health and safety rules. Stay home if you are sick, practice physical distancing, wash your hands regularly, and avoid touching your face, mouth, nose, and eyes. Remember, while wearing a mask will help control the spread of COVID-19, it will not prevent it. The College of New Caledonia needs your help. After 50 successful years, CNC is planning for the future, and you can help shape the next five years. You're invited to provide your ideas and inspiration through CNC's public engagement survey. The survey can be found through the news link at cnc.bc.ca with print copies available on request. Regular updates on the strategic planning process are also available through the website and CNC's social media accounts. The College of New Caledonia's public engagement survey, available online at cnc.bc.ca through September 14th. 
Are you a parent? Now that you are spending more time at home, why not teach your child how to spot false content and rumors? Find a piece of information online that is confirmed as disinformation and ask your child these questions. Who made this? For whom was this made? Is it from a reliable source? During the COVID-19 outbreak, only trust official information sources and credible media outlets. Do not share unverified information. This is a message from UNESCO. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we've been talking athletics in different sports, and I guess now you could say we're still going to be talking athletics to some extent. We're talking a little bit of horseback riding, I guess, with Tracy Calagueros, the CEO out at the Exploration Place. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning, and yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> so now, what is the story out there? You unveiled a new champion, apparently. I did, a recently restored champion. It's uh, the, the horse that everyone knew and loved that was at the Northern acquired his name because what that was emblazoned across the base of the actual ride itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it just became shortened to champ over the years. So really, what it comes down to is I've bought another one that's the identical model and had it restored, it actually came up to us out of Florida. So there will be one that will be ready for rides when we are eventually able to reopen. So that's it. That's straight right off the bat. You guys are not open yet. It, it, do you have the new champion displayed in a window somewhere, though, so people can see it? We haven't done anything with it ah. yet because we were hosting Science World in town last week for some ah. teacher training. And I now have uh, a bit of vacation time booked. So we'll get them up into the atrium where folks can see them perhaps uh, a little bit later on in the fall. Okay. I was thinking, I've got to get this out of the way. I was thinking what you should do is have him up there with the old champion, the one from Northern Hardware, next to each other. Yeah, we can introduce them. I I had someone else suggested, too, on Facebook that we should... uh, think about going to the community wide to name this new guy well i was thinking leave the name as champion and then then over your music system you play queen we are the champions you just had to get the queen song in there you just wanted it plural (laughs) didn't you well yeah yeah you you should know by now i do things like that you do you've been working up to this for days i can tell (laughs) Uh, okay yes I have to admit I have. (laughs) So how long did it take to track down the new champion? Uh, Actually, it was was a fluke. It's almost like it was meant to be. Uh, John got onto the Internet and started searching after he'd gone through the original champ that was here in town, and it was clear that there was no way it was going to be able to withstand significant amount of rides. We knew (laughs) we needed to find a new one. Um, And we couldn't find one that was like a remake, so he tracked down a company called Carousel Works out of about as far away as you can get down in Florida, (laughs) and they actually had one sitting in a warehouse that was all beat and torn apart, and they were able to recondition it and reconfigure it and get it up to us. Wow. So how long did that process take? Like, when did you guys first talk to them and say, yes, we want the horse? We started talking to them in January when we tracked it down, and I, I was asking John, actually, just before I was doing interviews with the new guy, we ordered this replacement one week before we shut down for COVID, Oof. so that's the very beginning of March, and it just arrived this past week. Jeez. So to some extent, your timing was good on that part, and that you weren't trying to juggle this at the same time as COVID was actually here. 
Well, I have to say, had it been a week or two later, we likely wouldn't have ordered it simply because mm. it wasn't an inexpensive proposition mm. to bring this guy to Prince George. But mm. at the time that we ordered it, nobody knew that we were going to be shutting down and certainly not for as long as we are. Yeah. Now, I guess the one good thing is, yes, you're importing a horse from Florida, but this one doesn't have to be fed. <laughs> well, he arrived wearing a mask and we have made the 14-day quarantine joke. So I guess that's why he's sitting out of sight for a while. <laughs> so... You got, how did, let's just go over this again. How did you get Champion from the Northern when it closed down? Uh, well, we, we took in a very large collection of artifacts and uh, archival materials mm -hmm. from the Northern when they closed because they reached out to us and said, hey, we have all of this stuff. And the Northern was absolutely central to the development of Prince George over the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what a contemporary museum is collecting, something like that, treasure trove of history contained in the northern is exactly what we were collecting. <laughs> so we took apart the snake room upstairs, and we took a variety of tools and other documents, and then, of course, Champion was the thing that the community was really fixated on in terms of where was Champ going to go. Yeah. So we talked at, a long, at quite length to determine what we were going to do about it, um, because we don't want to just have it hidden away in a vault. This, the, the original Champ will be on display, and there will be opportunities that will create perhaps around Christmas for people to actually ride the old champ. Huh? It's just that he couldn't take constant use day after day. Yeah. So, so um, when the Northern closed down then, and you guys knew you were getting champ, how long was it after that that you, uh, John had done the work on it and said, no, we can't use this on a regular basis? He was pretty certain right away, but he didn't want to make a, a snap judgment. So he took a, all of the mechanics apart and had a, a look at all of the various pieces and bits. And then he tried to see if he could just order parts to perhaps fix it. But there was a lot wrong with the old original champion. In fact, it actually, I didn't realize that if you pull back on the reins, it's supposed to change the speed that it's moving at. Oh. So there were a number of things like that in the one that everyone was riding mm -hmm. that were no longer functional. And then when we got a good look at the actual fiberglass body, there's major cracks through mm -hmm. the original that short of doing a full restoration, it was not going to be able to tolerate a whole lot of use and it would have crumbled under the use of the museum. So wow. that's why we went the way we did. So I'm trying to remember, I'm sure this has come up at some point, how long was the original champ at Northern? Oh, sure. Ask me a question I don't have written down in front of me. <laughs> Um, I know that he was traded for a boat motor. Um, <laughs> that was how they wound up getting him at the Northern. And my understanding is I think it was in the 60s. But wow. that's an Alyssa question more than that's a Tracy question. Yeah. So basically he was at the Northern for close to 50 years. Yep, long time. Wow. And generations of kids rode him. I can't even imagine the number of rides. Now, speaking of rides, mm -hmm. the new champ is... Um, for 25 cent rides instead of 10 cent rides and we oh. had promised we'd stay at 10 cents but apparently they searched North America to find us a 10 cent box to attach it doesn't exist gee what a surprise yeah it was it was an interesting process and <laughs> the other problem of course is Canadian money rather than US money ah. so they could get us a quarter box we've had them put that in and we're going to look at getting some slugs made so people could still pay the 10 cents but it, it does say 25 cents and I've already taken heat over it so here's my explanation and this is why <laughs> so it wasn't your fault horses cost a lot to feed that's true there's been inflation since the 50s when this guy was inv invented <laughs> so now is the new champ 
as far as you can tell, is it almost like the same make and model, shall we say, of the old champ? It's the identical make and model. Uh-huh. I think that this one was actually a different um, coat color. Mm-hmm. And when they, we sent them photos of our copy of Champ, and so they painted this one to uh-huh. look like the original. Okay. So when you put the two of them right next to each other, can you tell the difference fairly quickly? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Even if you ignored the fact that the one has the nice shiny clear coat and all new <laughs> tack, um, there is definitely differences. When you're painting these things, it's done by an artist, and the uh, the hand that you know yeah. spreads the, the dark paint on the hawks is different between the two. So you can definitely see a difference, but clearly they're related. So I, I think finding a name that relates to the old champ could make sense. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously you don't have a date in mind yet, but are you already making plans for sort of an official ceremony, if you will, to introduce the new champ to the public and have the first rides? Well, one of our plans all along had been to do um, a major in-house exhibit on the Northern, and we're right now working through the curatorial plans for what exhibits we will open the new facility with. So as it stands right now, I don't have an opening date. We're saying spring 2021, Mm -hmm. but I suspect that it's um, it'll either be in, at the opening or shortly thereafter that we launch a major nor- northern hardware exhibit, and this horse, both horses, would be the centerpiece for it. Wow! And so then, um, are you already? Have you already been getting people getting in touch with you to say, "I want to be the first one to ride"? Well, I have not had anyone ask to be the first to ride, though I've had an awful lot of people get in touch saying that they desperately want to ride. And we did <laughs> let Lisa, our uh, assistant director hopped on it for the uh, unboxing just to make sure that it ran. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Tracy Cavagueros from the Exploration Place, thank you for bringing us up to date on uh, the horsing around you guys are doing out there. We do our best. Okay. Thanks very much. Talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. That will wrap it up for today's show. Uh, back on the air tomorrow after 9. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.